0: or a 45 Model 19 Glock. I'm talking about the Word of God. Go with me, if you will, to 1 Kings, the 19th chapter, a very much-rehearsed passage of Scripture at Church of the Harvest, as is the book of Esther. Every once in a while, I'll tease Debbie and ask her what I preached about last week. Of course, she doesn't have a clue, and she doesn't remember, but I believe that last week it blessed her and helped her. Let me tell you about Esther. For six months, every day, they anointed Esther with oil so her skin would be soft enough to go in the presence of the king. The second six months, they anointed her with perfume so that when she went in the presence of the king, she had a fragrance about her. That's preparation. And without preparation, there is no presence. And so we come to the house of God on Sunday. Sometimes Wednesday, sometimes during the week, we'll turn a Bible study on or we'll listen to a CD. And that is our season of oil, and that's our season of perfume. That is preparing us one day, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, and then we will hear him say to most of us in this house, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. And we're preparing for that. We are going to be the fragrance of heaven. We are going to be that oil, that anointing. He sent his son to die for us. That's how special we are to him. The thought today or the theme today is simply, and Pastor Ron and I have been sharing this a lot lately, and I'm I'm sure that some of you can relate to what I'm about to share, but lately there have been so many crazy things going on in our life. We usually conclude the crazy by simply saying, it is what it is. It is what it is. But I've added to that statement today to share this word with you. It is what it is until it's something else. Right. It is what it is until it's something else. In reflection of one line, several years ago, I went through my notes and my sermon titles and prepared a list of one-liners. And I thought if if you wouldn't be bored this morning, I would share some of those one-liners with you. Here's one. Let me make sure I have the right. There's actually two pages, but I promise you I won't share both pages. Let me go with this one. There are no shortcuts to any place worth going. Have an attitude of gratitude. Activity is contagious. Contagious. God is excited about your future. The one who judges, the less one loves. Wow, let me rephrase that. The more one judges, the less one loves. How sad. Great joy is only earned by great exertion. God loves you whether you like it or not. Pinch somebody. Thankfulness is the soil where joy thrives. My way is the highway, saith God. He is thankful for little, enjoys much. There's always something to be thankful for. Thanksgiving is only possible for those who remember. And I thought this was so great yesterday as we were doing the the, the makeup and and the hair. The best decoration is a smile. The greatest gift is love. God can make all things new, even you. Look at somebody and smile. Don't start the new year with the same old habits. The lesson is in the struggle, not in the victory. Do I have an amen there? Don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can do. Your dream must be bigger than your fear. If I like this, Pastor David. If everything is under control, you're moving too slow. To whom much is given, much is required. Life is a challenge. Meet it. Goals are, watch this, goals are dreams with deadlines. Misha, I thought that was incredible as, as far as goals are dreams with deadlines. Timing is everything. Conduct has the loudest voice. Have a tough mind and tender heart. Your past doesn't equal your future. Fear of the devil is doubting God. Somebody say amen. amen. And watch this, Alex, be the change you want to see in others. Be the change you want to see in others. Choice, not chance, determines destiny. Working together yesterday works. Working together works. And of course, there are about 40 more of these, but I won't take the time to share them with you. But I thought this morning, as we f- reflect on, without preparation, there is no presence. As we are getting ready to do what God has called us to do, and be what God has called us to be. Notice, if you will, First Kings in 19th chapter. Elijah has just seen some pretty incredible, phenomenal things. Fire from heaven, outran a chariot. Jezebel has declared that she is going to murder him. Uh, Elijah kind of goes into a season of hiding, feels like he's the only one left. Has anybody ever felt like you're the only one left? I am the only one doing the right thing. I'm the only one that says thank you. I'm the only one supporting the ministry. I'm the only one doing what the work. Anybody ever felt like that, that way? Well, God tells Elijah that there are 7,000 that have not bowed to Baal. That's a pretty good number. And he said, I want you to go and anoint you. Jehu is going to destroy your enemies, and I want you to go anoint Elisha. He's going to destroy the rest of them. How would you feel if God told you to go and pick your protege and tell your protege that you were going to be the next prophet or you were going to be the next hero? How exciting would that be? So the word says, Elijah departed, and he came upon a guy by the name of Elisha. And we're going to find him in verse 19. 1 Kings 19, verse 19. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he, Elisha, left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my mother and father, and then I will follow thee. And Elijah said to Elisha, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave it to the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered after him, unto him, ministered unto him. What a great story. What a great story of someone that didn't just hear the call, feel the call, but answered the call just by the prophet of the day placing a mantle On his back I don't know if there was a I don't know if there was a moment of anointing or a moment of glory I don't know if there's some God bumps or goose bumps but something touched Elisha in such a way that he realized that his purpose and his destiny was to pursue Elijah and be a servant how cool is that we know that he killed all of his oxen he burnt all of his plows we're gonna talk about that in a minute And this is a passage of scripture that we use quite often. And I want to share a story I shared with you about 10 weeks ago. I don't know if you will remember it or not. But on February 19th, 1519, the Spanish explorer Hernán Cortez set sail for Mexico with an entourage of 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, and 553 soldiers. The, The indigenous population upon his arrival was approximately... 5 million see the odds if you will from a purely mathematical standpoint the odds were stacked against him by a ratio of 7541 to 1 how many would like those odds 7500 people against you anybody in the building two previous expeditions had failed to even establish a settlement in the new world yet cortez managed to conquer much of the South American continent. Now Christine, you need to listen because there will be a test later. This is your history letter okay. lesson. When Cortez is reported to have done after landing is an epic tale of mythic proportions. He issued an order that turned his mission into an all or nothing proposition, burn the ships, burn the ships. As the crew watched their fleet of ships burn and sink, They came to terms with the fact that retreat was not an option. And if you can compartmentalize that word, say it, Pastor David, for me, the moral of the colonization, there is a lesson to be learned. Nine times out of ten, failure is resorting to plan B when A gets too risky, too costly, or too difficult. That's why most people are living their plan B. They didn't burn their ships. Can I say this? People with a plan B... People with the plan A don't have a plan B. It's plan A or bust. Right. On a weekend of 911, many of you may remember, we had a special conference with um, John Maxwell. And the following, some ministers came in to be a part of that conference. And the following morning, uh, Apostle Troy Miller ministered. He's gone on to be with the Lord, had the privilege of speaking at his funeral. A great man, a great apostle. But he shared with this body, I text his wife today, And I said, I'm still quoting what your husband shared with this body. And I don't know if anybody remembers that moment, if you were with me in that day. But he preached a sermon entitled, God Does Not Have a Plan B. God does not have a plan B. God has a plan A. The B in your plan stands for bumps in the road that God knew would come. The word says the call is without repentance. And, you know, people fail. They quote that, but they fail to explain what it means. It means that when God called you, he saw the divorce. He saw the drugs. He saw the alcohol. He saw the failure. He saw the pain. He saw the unplanned children. He saw all of that, but he's not sorry that he called you because those things that you survived makes you suitable to do what God has called you to do. It's called Experience. And you know what's worse than, than learning from your... How many bad things have happened to you and you learned something from it? And that was terrible, but it, it happened it, it, anybody. You know what's worse than, than learning from your mistakes? Not learning from your mistakes. You would think by this season of life you would have some kind of grip and you wouldn't be tripped or trapped upon things that have tripped and trapped you before you think you think that you would you would be aware of all that but sometimes it's the very same thing that tripped us up yesterday that has set a plan to snare us today and the song says in this journey to pursue plan a through many dangers toils and snares we have already come how many can relate it is risky serving god it is dangerous serving god it is radical serving god because God can do so many great phenomenal th- sensational things with just your 20 seconds of insane courage. Just that moment to make that decision. Just that you know, I, I was reflecting yesterday as I was reading where Joshua was winning the battle and the, and the tides were turning. And there's something about momentum. when, when you've got that momentum, you don't want it, you want to finish it. anybody can relate. You start something, you know what, I'm going to finish this garden. I'm going to wash this car. I'm going to mow this lawn. I'm going to weed it. I'm not, I'm not leaving here till I get it done. There's something about momentum, and the sun's going down. And they realize that if the sun go- went down, they would lose their momentum, and they might lose the battle. So as long as, as, as Moses held his hands up, they were winning the battle. But how many knows a 90-year-old man has a tough time holding his arms up for very long? Matter of fact, we had fun several years ago at a men's ministry. We took a guy, we stacked a, um, a silver dollar on his hand and on each hand, and he held his hands out like this. And every minute that he held his hands out, we stacked another silver, silver dollar. You would think that would motivate him to get 10, 20, 30, 40 dollars. But after five minutes, he couldn't hold his hands up any longer. Something that you'll learn about boxing the reason that most boxers do well is they, they can keep their, their hands up. They can keep their, most fights last about 15 seconds, right, Donnie? You hit them; they hit the ground. I hope that's the way it plays out. And I, I am too old to box with you. I'm going to cheat. I mean, there's going to be a there's going to be a low there's going to be a low blow. to Steve. Can you relate? I'm too old to wrestle with these young kids. I'm just going to cheat, put them on the ground as quickly as I can. But many people, concerning plan A, would rather crash and burn going after their God or dreams than succeed anything else. Is there any plan A people in this building that would rather crash and burn than not pursue the plan and the faithfulness of God? Do I have a hand? I have have three hands, okay. Then then we'll go on and make some one-liners for you. There are moments in life when we need to burn the ships of our past. Let me say it again. There are moments in our life when we need to burn the ships to our past. If you think that's good, wait to hear this one. We do so... By making a defining decision that will eliminate the possibility of sailing back to the old world we left behind, we burn the ship named past failure. We burn the ship named past success. We burn the ship named bad habit. We burn the ship named regret. We burn the ship named guilt. We burn the ship named my old way of life. You know, I, I remember when I was a. Um, of uh, recovering from drugs and alcohol and turning things around and 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 trying to start over again. A lot of times, I learn it's bad to get around ex-drug addicts because all they want to talk about is their ex-drug addict days. And if it's not careful, it stirs something up on the inside of you. On several occasions, I've been asked to share my testimony. I don't like my testimony. I'm not proud of who I was. I'm not proud of what I did. I'm not proud of all of all that junk, of all the things that I went through before God turned my my life around. Sometimes you just need to realize old things are passed away. All things are become new. Now, if I share my testimony, it helps you, encourages you. That's great. But I just don't want to sit around and talk about the old dog that I was before God changed me. And Pastor Rhonda came crawling back into my life, and I received her back in, and we started. You know, I. I, I <laughs> Uh, Somebody help me laugh. We burned the ship named My Old Way of Life. That's exactly what Elisha did. He turned his plowing equipment into kindling and barbecued his oxen. It was his last supper. He He said goodbye to his old life by throwing a party for all of his friends. They shared a meal and shared stories in the early morning hours, but it was the bonfire that made it the most meaningful and memorial night of his life because it symbolized the old Elisha. It was the last day of his old life and the first day of his new life. Many of you probably do not remember the days of youth camp, that we'd have a glorious week and the nights would be filled with great music and services, and we'd cry and bawl and squall, and we would would just love on the Lord. Well, after youth camp, they usually always had a bonfire. And they would hand you a pine cone. And I wish more people would follow the rules of the pine cone because as you threw your pine cone into the fire, you shared your testimony. And when your pine cone was all burned up, you were to sit down and shut up and be quiet. But most people they never watched their pine cone. They just they love talking, they just kept talk, 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 talk. But but throwing the pine cones in the fire. Resembles taking your diary and throwing it in the trash can and saying no more of the bad, no more of the old, no more of the past. All things in Christ are brand new and today is the first day of the rest of my life. Do I have a witness in the building? He literally cooked his old way of life and had it for dinner. And then part of the analogy, he let it digest and pass right on through. Do I have a witness in the house? He eliminated the possibility of ever going back. He destroyed the time machine. Josh, he couldn't get back in the time machine and go back. It was done. He he destroyed all of that. I'm here to tell you it doesn't matter if you're trying to lose weight. Get into graduate school. Write a book. Start a business. Get out of debt. Stop smoking. Stop abusing drugs. The first step is usually the longest and the hardest. Can anybody relate? You can't just take a step forward in the future you have to eliminate the possibilities of moving backward into the past. You know, I feel like sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps backwards. Why couldn't it be two steps forward and three steps backwards? Because to many people, that's where they live. They judge themselves by what they used to do or where they used to fail, and they won't try anything new. When God has given you all this talent, Pastor Todd, everybody give Pastor Todd a hand clap of appreciation. Where's the red coat, Pastor Todd? We thought you were going to wear the red. I told everybody who's going to wear the red coat. And that's how you go after goals. How? By eliminating the possibility of moving backward into the past. That's how you break addictions. That's how you reconcile relationships. You leave the past in the past by burning the ships. I'm not going to encourage you to go out and burn something that doesn't belong to you. Hello. And I'm not going to, you know, if you're going to burn something, make sure it's yours. Uh, I, I was told that yesterday, Lynn Mizell's house burnt to the ground. Yeah, everything. They lost lost everything. And of course, most of you uh, know that Monday, Dad went out and burned a little in the garden. The fire almost got away from him. And he told me about it and said, Dad, I said, promise me, promise me that you won't burn the rest of the garden until I'm around to help you out. I don't know if you promised or not, but one o'clock Tuesday afternoon, Chris, I'm sitting at the drive-thru at Wendy's on Paul Hub, And all of a sudden, this fire truck goes blowing by. And there here goes this rescue truck, and something said, go home, go home. So I turned right in front of his row, went to the log cabin, four fire trucks, two rescue trucks. The fire had got away from Dad, and it was burning the mountain, and Mom was there with a the look of terror in her face. I said, Mom, where's Dad? She said, I don't know. And I ran up, and Dad's laying on the ground. The paramedics are doing the—you And you, you don't realize how fragile life is until that happens to you. And then they, he, the paramedics came back twice, he checked on, they said it was okay. And then when I found out he was okay, I just cussed him out. I mean, I wanted to, come on, I wanted to beat him, I want to beat him up. How dare you put us through? But Dad kind of had the right idea. In order, watch this, in order to have a new garden, you got to burn the old garden. Last year, Dad had a garden of weeds. I'm not exaggerating. For some reason, he, I, mean, I mean, I mean, his weeds were higher than his okra, and that was pretty high. And I said, Dad, I said, you brought all this good dirt in, but you didn't get rid of all the weeds that were there last year that they're going to come back because that's what weeds do. Yep. If you don't deal with the weeds of yesterday, you're going to have a garden of weeds tomorrow. Good. Patty, can you relate? When you spray your lawn, kill all those weeds for the grass. <laughs> well, if the weeds didn't grow, you probably wouldn't have to, have to mow the lawn at all, would you? All those weeds. I promise you, if there's weeds in your garden today, they will come back tomorrow. That's, that's why Donnie's going to come over to church and we're going to pull all those weeds. We're not going to start a fire. In order to begin a new chapter, you must end an old chapter. Bob Seger, one of my favorite artists, met him with uh, J.D. at uh, a NAM show in Nashville. Uh, great, great author, great rock and roller, been around a long time. Remember Risky Bismuth, Tom Cruise dancing his underwear. I like that old time rock and roll. That's Bob Seger. Bob Seger has a song entitled, Turn the Page, Turn the Page. The way to do it is with a simple punctuation mark. You can put a period on the page and it gets the job done, but if you want to be more dramatic, you'll either do a smiley face or an exclamation point. Can anybody relate? It's more decisive, more definitive. Then you turn the page and begin a new sentence which begins a new paragraph, which begins a new chapter. And what's true in grammar is true in life. You want to break a habit, stop a conflict, or just leave the past in the past, You need a punctuation mark. Old things are passed away. Punctuation mark. All things are become new. Punctuation mark. It's not just a period or a comma, but your life is a statement. Your personality, your mindset has got to go with your mouth. And if you're speaking things declaring them, then your body language, your body language, that's Freddie Mercury Queen. your body language has to say the same thing. I'm done with the old, out with the old, and in with the new. As a child growing up, black and white TV was quite popular. And around New Year's Eve, there was always a caricature, and it was on the, uh, help me, the, the clown, uh, Freddy the Freeloader, Red Skelton. Red Skelton would be dressed up as an old, old man, and a little child would come in with diapers. I don't know if you remember that or not, but that was out with the old and in with the new. And that's exactly what God wants to do in our life. Elisha didn't have to burn his plowing equipment to follow Elijah. But he was making a statement and it was a statement of faith he was saying there's no turning back if my prophetic apprenticeship with elijah does not work he had no no place to turn he there was no plan b there was no door number one door number two door number three remember the program door number one was usually a bunch of pigs and door number but there was the right door if you waited long enough and went through the right door you were blessed and that was what elijah was about he was all in i don't know if you know what it means to be all in not a big gambler. I, one of my first jobs out of high school, I worked at a break and at lunch. The guys were always playing cards, and, the, and the, I, think the, I think the joker and the, and the twos were wild, and, and, and they would bet money. And after watching it for six months, finally, I said, I'm here. I may as well, you know, start. And they took me for all the money I had because they didn't know what I was doing. But there were times when, when one of the guys would say, I'm all in. And he would push all of his stakes, not just the ante, not just what had been raised, but he would push it all in. Now, a lot of times that's a bluff. But you know what? Sometimes if we have to bluff the devil to live another day, praise God for it. Help me out here, someone. I mean, I know we're not supposed to shadow box. We're supposed to be significant with our blows. But sometimes I feel like, and I hate to be as open, as honest as I'm going to be, but sometimes I wake up and I don't feel like getting out of bed. Sometimes I just wish, man, I just wish I was one of the depressed person. I just sleep all day long. Yeah. Right. Can, can anybody relate? And I, My feet will hit the floor. Now, I'm doing a little better than Pastor Rhonda. We have steps from the bedroom to the, to the kitchen area. And we don't even, we're like strangers in the night. We, she's headed to her tea. I'm headed to my coffee. And that's what we do. But at least I can take the steps one, 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 one. Pastor Rhonda goes one. Somebody was supposed to put a, a, a rail in our house and this is—I'm not, not hinting for you to come put a rail, but if you do, make sure it's that hickory stain, the real nice with the brass supports. But but we need we need a rail now in her house because she she she'll barely make one step and barely one. And I'm I'm right behind her going. It could be a lot worse. I could. It could be a lot worse. But then I'll go down and I'll look at the window. I go. This is the day the Lord hath made, and I don't say it like that. I say it like this. This is the day the Lord hath made. I knew this would happen. I knew this would happen. I'm going to have to get out of the bed. Elijah was selling out. That's what going all in is about. It's being fully present in the here and now. It's not living past tense or future tense. He's not the great I used to be. He's not the great I'm going to be. He is I am that I am right now in your life. Have you, made a, have you made a statement of faith? I thought Angel would enjoy this. Going all in is living as though each day is the first day and the last day of your life. If you really knew, if you really knew this, as Paul knew when it was time for him to go to heaven, if you really knew this is the last day that you would live on this earth, would you do it differently? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would seek out about 10 people I don't like and beat the living daylights out of them and I wouldn't get can it. Can I, is it okay to be honest? I, I mean, there's some people just need a good slap. Ain't nothing gonna help. Just, and sometimes cussing is the only way to, to you, you can't say it in the English. Am I helping anybody in the building? <laughs> but if this really was the last day of our life, or let's say this is the last 30 days of your life, or this is the last year of life, would you pursue it differently? Would you do it, would you do it differently? I like to think that we would. And I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about a sinner's prayer or going to Bible school or, or taking college courses in religion. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about a positive step of faith and it doesn't always involve a bonfire. It doesn't always involve that you've got to trash all those things in the past. But there are people in this house that have got out of the box, didn't move in the norm. I could call their names and you would know them. Have pursued and become business women of equity and character. Traveling the world, doing wild and crazy things. Keith is getting ready to go back to Europe for six months. He's going to leave his family for six months. They'll be in the house of God. They'll be taken care of. He'll Skype us from time to time. But this is to promote him that not just a better job, but more money. How many would like to have a better job and more money? Anybody in the building? More, more money anyway, if, if, you, if you like your job. Well, that's what getting out of the box. That's what burning the ships of yesterday and making a statement. I can do all things through Christ with strength in me. Again, don't burn somebody else's stuff. Don't go get a tattoo. That's not what this is all about. But what I'm sharing, I'd like for you to think about it, pray about it, and then act on it. Realize that we are saved by grace. I'm not telling you that we've got to do works to pr- 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 prove our salvation. We're saved by by faith, period. Or maybe I should use exclamation point when you realize what it costs him to do for us. You're not more saved or less saved based on how creative or compelling or courageous your statement of faith is. It's all about the cross of Christ. But a statement of faith makes it personal and makes it memorable. Remember the tax collector who put his faith in Christ? Remember he climbed the tree? And Jesus said, I'm coming to your house, because he knew that Tish had cooked some pork roast, and Jesus was headed to the pork roast, I'm here to tell you. And when he encountered Christ, just to, and you know what? Jesus didn't even preach at him, didn't even tell him to repent, didn't have him read the, 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 the thesis. Jesus was just there, just his presence there made this guy want to do the right thing. What did he do? He gave half his possessions to the poor. That's not what saved him. But, but the dramatic action of what he went through, obviously there was a change in his heart. There was a change in his life. He said, if I've wronged anybody, I will give them fourfold what I have wronged them. Before he met Jesus, watch this, money was his God. So it made, st- it made sense that his statement of faith would involve his finances. Maybe your past is your God. Maybe your addiction is your God. Maybe, maybe, your, maybe, your, maybe your job is your God. But when you turn it over to Christ, that no longer is your God. Let God be God. Let everybody else follow him. Do I have a witness in the house? Remember the ex-prostitute? Make sure I put that word ex in there. Because history says she'd been following Jesus for almost two years. But she goes to a party where she was not invited. Hello. Got a phone call from my cousin in uh, in, uh, Prague, Oklahoma, around the Oklahoma City area. And she said she hasn't got her invitation yet, but she's coming to the party because she is a party wedding crasher. And what my attitude is, if it's good food and good music, why not crash it? Why do you have to know the people that's getting married? They're never, ne- never going to know who you are while you're there. Can anybody relate? But this girl was, and it was a Pharisee party. What a boring I mean, they were probably sitting around talking about their phylacrophy and how many meals they fasted and how wonderful they were. And I promise you the wine was probably great juice and everything. They had no pigs in the blanket because that wasn't kosher. But this girl crashed their party. And notice what she did. She stood behind Jesus. She cried so hard that her tears wet his feet. She takes her hair. She dries his feet with her hair. And then she breaks open this alabaster box. Now, none of that is what saved her. But that gave the dramatic evidence that she had definitely made a decision. Is there a witness? The alabaster box was her most precious possession, but she gave it to Jesus. Not because it was just extremely expensive, but it was part of her sex appeal. That fragrance is what she used in the past to allure men. And now she's giving everything that she saved, everything that she's trusted in, breaks it she doesn't just open it pour a little bit out which is what I usually do with roundup no she broke the turkey she broke she broke the container all or nothing and that's an all-or-nothing attitude that says I'm not gonna sit on the bench I'm not gonna sit in the back seat I'm going forward I'm gonna press towards that mark of the prize of the high calling breaking it open was her way of burning the plow she was giving up her former life when she gave her jar to Jesus Remember the revival in Ephesus. Remember reading about it. The, these people were so cultic, and they were so there had been so many different strange gods, and so many. And Paul said, "I notice you've got a, the, to the God, the unknown God." And then, and then Paul preaches a message, and they searched the scripture to see if the words were true. The entire city got saved, but notice what they did. They burnt their scrolls publicly. The cumulative value of these scrolls was estimated at fifty thousand. Drachma. Now, if you don't know what a drachma is, that is like 50000 That kind of sounds like a lot. A drachma was a silver coin worth a day's wages. That's 138 years of wages. They could have sold the scrolls, pocketed the money, but that would have been selling their souls. Instead, they made a $3,739,972.50 statement of faith. What a statement broke their plow, killed their oxen, burnt their plow. We're not going back to the occult. We're not going back to the dark, dark side. That song says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I've decided to follow him. Angel will enjoy this. This is a, this is a pretty cool one-liner. One of our fundamental spiritual problems is this. We want God to do something new while we're still doing the same old thing. How crazy is that? We want God to change our circumstances, but we don't want to change at all. But if you're asking God for new wine, then you're going to have to have a new wineskin. The song says, don't look for me to be in the place I used to be. There's been a change in me. I found a better way. Since I found the church and found a place to pray, there's been a change in me. I found a better way. And how many of that God has a better way for us? We get stuck spiritually because we keep doing the same thing, expecting different results. Anybody relate? Spiritual routines are a crucial part of spiritual growth. Prayer, reading your Bible, fasting, a problem. But when routine becomes routine, we have got to change what we're doing. Now, those of you that are into bodybuilding, exercising, working out, you will know that you will get into where you start doing sets. And if you're working your biceps, you're probably going to do four sets of curls with the bar and then you're going to go four sets reps of 8 to 10 and you're going to do free bar and then you're going to do presses and then you're going to add weight you're going to take weight away if you're trying to bulk up you do a lot of weight less reps if you're trying to tone you do less weight a lot of reps that's how it works out but your body even in a diet your body starts programming what you're doing it gets used to it and it doesn't grow And that's why people say, man, I've been on a diet. I lost 10 pounds, but now I can't because your body is smarter than you are. Your body knows exactly what's going on, what's taking place, what's going on. So you start changing things around. You start doing flush sets. Instead of curling 50 pounds, you'll take 40 pounds. You'll curl it halfway 10 times, then you're halfway up 10 times, then you curl it all the way 10 times. And by the time you're done, your biceps are screaming, the blood is pumping. You fooled your body. You made a change. You did something different. I think God sometimes wants us to do things different, maybe change our routine. And it may not be a big deal. It might just be having a Bible study in a different part of the house. It might be reading a different translation of the Bible. It may actually be sitting somewhere different in the sanctuary. How scary would that be? Some people, that's their seat, baby. They put their Bible there. It sat there all week. They didn't know that we tore the chairs down. And we've got to remember on Thursday what Bible went where because we're all messed up. I'm going to say it. What got you to where you are now may not get you to the next place you want to be. Miss Eddie, what got you to where you are now may not be what gets you to the next place. Jacob is having a moment with God. God speaks to him and says, This. He says, Keith, seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Bilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. Seek the Lord and live. Bethel was the place where Jacob actually saw the entrance to heaven. And there is a literal entrance to heaven in the Holy Land. It's a stairway called heaven. And he saw angels going up and down on this stairway. And there he made a vow to God. And there he built an altar. And there he named it Bethel, the place of prayer. God said, don't go to Gilgal. Gilgal is where the army of Israel came out of the wilderness when they got ready to defeat Jericho, It was a place where God said, I'm going to part the Jordan and you're going to step on the promised land. And that was their first step to the promised land. But but God said, don't go back to there. You know what's so ironic? It took God one night to get Israel out of Egypt. But it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And the truth be known, they never did really get it. Josh, they all died off. And the Marcuses was the generation that went into the promised land. So what you felt like God used last week or last month or last year or even the last revival, people say, we need to get Pastor Billy here. We need to get Tim Woodson here. We need to get Judy Jacobs here. We need to get Damon Thompson. We need to do this. You know what? And what God did in the past may not be what God wants to do to light your fire now and and stir those kimbers up in your spirit. Can anybody relate? Gilgal Gilgal marks the spot where the reproach is removed. And what a great place. But God says, don't go there. Bersheba was the place where Abraham made a treaty with Amalek. tithe, do you remember that? Called on the Lord. His son dug a, a, a well and built an altar there. What a great place. What a great place where Isaac communicates with Amalek. Great things happen. But God said, I don't want you going back there. All those places were special. They, all, they, all were, they were sacred. Why would God tell them not to go there? Because you're not going to find God in a past movement or a past experience. As I shared earlier, he's not the great I used to be. He's not the great I'm going to be. Many people live in one of three worlds. Either they live in fantasy land where everything's not really quite right. Or you live in what's the, what's the frontier land where everything is, is, is old-fashioned the way it used to be. But God is in the here and the now. He's right now wanting to move, wanting to change, and wanting to make some differences. I think that sometimes when we cling too tightly to what God did last we often miss what God wants to do next. Right. And I say this, and I say this in, in as much humility as possible. When we began to evangelize on our honeymoon, our second honeymoon, we went to Chattanooga Choo Choo and spent the night there in one of the Choo Choo's in one of the trains things, and then we went to Hawaii. And me, because I had evangelized for three years, I couldn't see going on a honeymoon and not preaching somewhere. So we got two or three churches, we booked two or three churches, and we went to this Assembly of God, and I believe the pastor's daughter was here with us just a few, a few months ago, but we went to, the, we went to this church where uh, they, and, and their worship was a lot like what we did today, in their worship, and you know what, I had never been really in that kind of worship. I grew up with the Red Hymnal, the Red Hymnal was my sacred cow. I mean, I probably could tell you what page he set me free is on. I could probably tell you what page Meeting in the Air is on. Blessed Assurance is page 56. Amazing grace. I mean, that, that, was, that was how we worship. With, with Can anybody relate? And so then I go to the church where they don't have any hymnals. So that, that scared me right there, Pastor Dave. There was no hymnals behind the back, and there was no little tithe envelope slots behind the seat. I go, what kind of church is this? No hymnal? No tithe envelope slot? What have I got myself into but man when they started they were this is the day and they were flat rock and they were flat. and and what's the song I went there to doubt but God saw me out something happened that old song I went there to doubt but God brought me out we went there not knowing what in the world was going on but when they spent about an hour worshiping and you know when you're the priest you look at your watch E.L. Terry would stand there and whistle remember that it was like, I'm ready, give me the pulpit. We're not ready, we've got to get the people ready. And I you know, I had the mindset, I got the word, I'm ready to preach. For one hour, there. I had to sit down, I got tired, I had to, go, had to get a snack in the bathroom. So it was such a long worship service. But when I began to minister, it was like, obviously the people's hearts were ready because they prepare and worship. Okay, God opened the door for us to preach several weeks at Mount Olive, and in that, in that revival, the pastor has gone on to be with the Lord, but the pastor completely re- released the service to us. We raised up the praise and worship team. Laura, uh, Laura, Laura Pass. We put her over the team, stuck the song, and that was one of the most. That was one of the most unique revivals that we've been a part of. And I think that was the revival that Courtney was dedicated. Was at that, that same revival. But it was so. It was so crazy because the worship was there. The praise and worship was there. And at that time, guys. There was not this kind of worship in the churches of Cleveland. I know because i preached over 40 of them. There was not that. It was very, it was like Lee University spiritual emphasis. You know, they want to keep everything in an hour. And then they, if, if the spirit got to moving, they'd always just stand up and say, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be. And that would shut the anointing down, shut the whole service down. It, it was unusual for a service to go two or three hours. But one time, and I told the, I told the kids last night, I've been to Alaska several times to do a conference there with my pastor, who's going to be the Lord. But when I was an evangelist, I would put a cert in my mouth. And I would, I would suck on that cert while I was preaching. And when the cert was gone, I would give an altar call. Because a cert, you know, it was about 30, 35 minutes, and I didn't want to be long or lengthy. But well, one night I'm in Alaska preaching, and I put what I thought was a cert in my mouth. I preached, and I preached, and I preached, and it turned out to be a button. It was a button. I put a button. And it never did It never did disintegrate. I preached like, and Tim Sally was there. He can witness this. I preached two hours and 35 minutes. And, and the, bless, it was one of those marathon sermons. I think I preached three sermons. That but that cert, I said, man, we've got plenty of time. I still got a full cert in my mouth. Well, I don't know why I told you that. I thought it just might be a, it just might be a blessing. But the way, the way you, you did it yesterday is not necessarily the way that god wants to do it today there are many of us and and there were seasons in my life when i'm guilty of this we stop living out of imagination and we start living are you ready out of memory i don't remember what happened something happened to volvo went to the shop or rented a car I had to drive to Tulsa, the car radio was freaked out, only had one station, and it was was country, it was a country station, I'm in the middle of Oklahoma, and I learned a lot of great country western songs, here's a quarter, call someone that cares, now it's like, here's 50 cents, I mean, that doesn't work, I realize that, but there was a song I loved on the radio, I don't even remember who sang it, I tell it like it used to be, come on, help me when you were still, so it's like, it's like you're living out of, are you ready? Memory instead of imagination. And when you start doing that, you stop living and you actually start dying. To be fully alive is to be fully present. It's not to live on, on yesterday's memory or yesterday's thought or yesterday's victory. Kind of got my feelings hurt this week. Um, I'm counseling a couple that's been living together quite a while. They've now decided to do the right thing and get married. It's kind of tough counseling uh, when people have been, they've had a child together. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of tough like that. But in the counseling sessions, most of you know I use the hand. And on the hand is the social, the romance, the finances, best friends, and God. So five areas of the marriage I want them to work in. And so we're working on the area of, of God. And they're not going to church anywhere. So I said, you know what? I really think it's important that you need to go to the church of your choice, find one that you all like, and go and be a part of it. I think you'll be blessed. Well, I get a text first thing Monday morning. Uh, this, this mom, and, and she's been a, she a friend of ours, I guess, for over 20 years. But this mom texts me, and she told me what church she went to. And she, and she, and she was texting how great it was, wonderful. And then she put in there... Kind of like harvest in the old days. And actually kind of got my feelings hurt. I actually, I actually got, but then, but then I realized we're not in the old days anymore. That's not a, that's not a, that season has come. That season has gone. It was a great season. The banners in the, in the sanctuary in, in remembrance, remind us of those days. But it's a different generation. It's a different season. And if people are doing now what we did 20 years ago, praise God, they're catching up. Just a thought. I missed the laughter movement. I missed it. Steve Hill went to be with the Lord a few days ago. Many of you remember the Brownsville revival. Ron and I were invited with Marcus and Jer- Joni to go sit on the platform with them, but we were in Florida and we were enjoying our vacation so much we decided not to go to Brownsville. We stayed there in St. Peter, wherever wherever we were. So I kind of I didn't get to meet Kilpatrick or, or Steve Hill or any of that. And uh, I know that I know that, that Steve Hill passed away. Great man, incredible move of God. But I missed a lot, and I think Rhonda kind of got caught up in the in their laughter movement. But I missed a lot. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. About 10 years ago, there were revivals that were going on for months and months and months, and people were like they were drunk. They were they were like they were like drunk, and they would just they would just fall out on the floor. Marcus got uh, Ronnie Howard Brown on a Marcus program. Five minutes in the program, Marcus goes into a trance in a trance for like three days. And it, it was like, Well, I never tranced I never out. I never got the laughter thing. I don't I don't I don't know I don't know why. I just I thought it was ironic Rodney Harris Brown's is his smile is like really bad. and ironic that God would use someone that didn't have perfect teeth to, to bring on the laughter mood. I mean only God could do that. But I was preaching in in uh, I was in Maui at the first assembly, a great church. And I'm Josh, I'm preaching, man. I'm I'm preaching. And all of a sudden, people start laughing. Like you check stuff, you know? Okay, you check. Okay, why are they laughing? Is something hanging out of my nose Are my pants? I mean, what, what's, what's the problem here? What's, what's going on? And when I finish this, I'll tell you one even more funny. And so after the service, I said, Pastor, I said, I know I'm funny, but I said some serious stuff, and your people are laughing. Pastor, I think you've got some serious problems your congregation. He goes, oh, no. He said, we had the laughter guy, Rodney Hunter Brown, was in here, and we all laughed, and we all. And, you know, I thought that was all wonderful But there's no movement in the past that I really want to go back to. I'm looking forward to the next move of God. I'm looking for the next place that God wants us to be. I believe there's about to be a revival that's going to rock this world. And I believe entire nations are going to call upon the name of the Lord. And I want to be a part of that move. I want to be part of that revival. Not a certain song, not a certain dance, not a certain laughter, but a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? When you decide to be fully alive in present day, it mandates leaving the past in the past. And that's the impetus behind Paul's exhortation in Philippians 3 and 13. Probably every other week, this scripture is quoted on this platform. Brethren and sistren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, I haven't arrived. I'm not all that in a bag of chips. But this one thing I do, Forgetting, actually, there were two things he does, Donnie. Forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth into those things which are before. I press towards the mark, the goal of the prize, the high calling of God through Christ Jesus. I love that. I love that word "press," because that's an action verb. One of my favorite movies, and you know, if you're if you're um, younger than eighteen, I wouldn't recommend watching it. But one of my favorite war movies is, is 300 and in that movie they are taking on an army of hundreds of thousands, only 300 of them but they manage to manipulate the enemy into a narrow channel I don't know if you've seen it or not and then they make their stand and then when, that, when those thousands begin to push, only just a few thousand can push at a time because it's so narrow, they've eliminated most of the enemy and when they first pushed, they went back one step and that was all they went back and then they begin to march, and they begin to press the enemy, and they push the enemy off the side of the cliff and to the rocks below. I believe that's the way sometimes when you decide to press, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be all hell afraid of you, all hell, hell's terrified of you. Right. Hell hated the fact that Billy Graham was, was, was puffed by Howard Hurst. Howard Hurst spent millions of dollars in Graham's ministry when he was a young man. The devil hates that. The devil hates the fact that the next Catherine Kuhlman might be in this sanctuary. Hates the fact the next Billy Graham. Who, who knows what God is going to do? And you don't have to be big or famous or wonderful to do great things. Just ask Mother Teresa. But who knows what's in and, and all of hell can sense sometimes in the spirit more than we can sense. And, and, and the enemy sees God's angels. Like I said, David was anointed in chapter 16, went to battle in chapter 17. When there's anointing, there's going to be opposition. When Jesus was born, all the angels came. The demons saw all that. They knew there was something special, but they couldn't figure out what it was because they're dumb. Hello, anybody that would serve the devil is dumb. Help me now, okay, to, to, to leave the presence of God and all the glory of God and to fall to the earth. How stupid is that? So they're too dumb to really realize what's going on. But there are, there are things that God will do in your life that you will sense, okay, I've got to make a decision, And I'm I'm not going to talk about smoking. I'm not going to talk about any of that. But you know what? You can say, watch this, you can say all you want, I want to quit smoking. But until you actually lay the cigarettes down and hide the lighter, hello, and stop hanging out in places where there is smoke, you might survive and you might actually quit. What was so funny, Pastor David, I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but that Sunday night, God gloriously saved me and restored me. That money I got up, went to work, uh, had, had drugs in my body, had no withdrawals, no, no hot flashes, no, no press. It was a miracle. It was a, it was a miracle deliverance that God brought me through. But that night I came home and I got on the phone. Here's what I did. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I called all my friends that I was parting with and I said, Listen, I'm not better than you and I'm not putting you down, but i got to get clean. I've lost everything because of drugs. And I can't come over to your house because I know you've got drugs there. And, of course, they say, well, come over. We won't give you any. We know how far that plays out. Hello. And so, and so I completely shut the door. I reflected a few days ago. Most of my friends from that scenario are not only still addicted, but they've gone through two or three marriages. They've got kids that are growing out without their presence in their life. Pretty much, pretty much a mess 35 years ago and still a mess now. But, you know, Chris, what I learned, and, Chris, you probably can't relate to this, When I stopped hanging out with them, I realized I had absolutely nothing in common with them. We didn't get into intellectual conversations. We didn't read encyclopedias and grow together mentally. We did drugs. That's all we did. And all of a sudden, when you remove drugs from the picture, their life was really boring. This is a boring life. You go to bed stone, you get up stone, you live your whole life stone. From hour to hour, you're planning how am I gonna get my next fix? How am I gonna get my next bill? How exciting is that? That is demeaning and frustrating, and it's not what God has for you in this last day, what he wants you to do. He wants you to press on towards the mark. What does that mean? Get some goals in your life. Say, before this year's over, I'm gonna memorize the books of the Bible. I'm gonna read the Bible. I'm gonna read Proverbs every day. I'm gonna read there, listen. There's not just hundreds, but there are thousands of books right now in our libraries that are a blessing. They're, they're based on the Word of God. And great men and women, when you look at Joel Osteen, and you look at Mark Batterson, these guys that have spent their whole life doing stuff, and they put that all... I mean, can you imagine taking what a man has learned his entire life, like A.W. Tozer or uh, uh, S.M. Lockridge, what he learned his whole life that he sits down and he puts it in about a 75-page book. Can you imagine how how, what a blessing would be to read that, to glean all that he knew all those years, and you could learn it all in two hours. Make a decision. Get a goal in your life. Press towards the mark. When I played basketball, we played it the hard way. Does anybody know what that means? I'm reading a book right now entitled David and the Goliath, and it talks about, and if you if you know this story, wave your hand at me. There was a college team, girls, that a guy went to coach, and he had never really... Coached before, but he put the girls on the court. They weren't all that talented. They weren't great three-point shooters. They weren't great dribblers. But he taught them how to play a full court press. How many knows what a full court press is? If you play half court, your your defense waiting for the ball to come to you. But if you play full court, you're taking the game to them. And usually they will panic and throw the ball out of bounds or throw the ball to one of your teammates because they can't handle the pressure of playing in the backcourt. I believe God is calling the church into a full court press. Half-court press is safe. Let me back up. I want to make sure I didn't want to forget anything here. I didn't. Matthew 11 and 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now... The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. Pressing, pushing, getting that that umph, getting that matzah, getting that, that, whatever that word is, that that matzah, to make a decision, to make a difference in your life so that you can make a difference in the lives of others. Because people are followers. We follow. We like the way he dresses, we want to wear that. We like the way he saves, we, we copy that. We like that car, we get one like it. We, we are followers. Jesus said, follow me, because we're all followers, and I'll make you fishers of men. If you follow the right person for the right reason, you can be blessed and financial in every area of your life, be blessed. Somebody needs to help me here. Can I ask you a question? I'm going to ask it. whether you say yes or no. Are you playing offense in your marriage? Are you playing a prevent defense that leaves romance on the sidelines? Just a question. Are you parenting reactively or proactively? Give a spiritual growth plan. Here's a good one. Are you working for a paycheck or stewarding your God gift, given gifts pursuing a God ordained dream? Are you trying to break even spiritually by avoiding sin or are you going for broke by invading the darkness with the light and the love of Jesus Christ? All those answers, we hope, are the latter. We hope, we hope, are that. You know, the, uh, Christine, you'll enjoy this. The only way to predict the future is to create it. You don't let it happen, you make it happen. How? Stop regretting the past and, and learning from it. Let go of guilt by leaning into God's grace. Quit beating yourself up and let the Spirit of God heal your heart. You cannot, you know, I've heard people say, well, you you just need to, you need to forget about it. Forget about it. Mickey Blue, forget about it. No, you can't divorce your your past from you. It is your past. You're you're, you're married to it. But God wants to reconcile your past by redeeming it. God is in the recycling business. We take all of our trash to him and recycles it and makes it a brand new creature full of faith, full of hope, full of energy, full of purpose, and full of destiny. I, my prayer for you, you're probably not going to like this prayer. When the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain Of change. Sadly, many of us are comfortable with comfort. We're comfortable being comfort. We follow Christ to the place of inconvenience, but no further. Many of us need a prophet to walk up and throw a mantle on our shoulders and let us feel God's goosebumps from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet to realize there really is something spiritual. Spiritual spiritually out there that God wants us to have and to pursue it let me conclude what you don't know is Elisha was born and raised in a region of Israel called Abel Mehola. in English meaning of that Hebrew word is a meadow of dancing it was the breadbasket of the Jordan River Valley Elisha's family were, were productive not just one, most families had one oxen, and that's what they farmed with. Elijah's family had 12. He ran the 12th one, so that meant they had 11 employees that ran the other 11. They were wealthy, and he had all this to inherit. But when he made the decision he made, he could have possibly even written himself out of his parents' will. Yeah. I played the organ for a wedding several years ago of a, of a very incredible couple they are now... In, uh, in Udawal attending um, whatever church that is there, they're, they're, great. they're great kids. so great, some great. Uh, but when be careful what I say here when the husband gave his heart to God and started coming to the church, his family disowned him and wrote him out of a very, very substantial amount of money. All the years I've known him, he never he never regressed. He never regretted. He never went back. He went. God God promoted him in the business. Went all the way to the top level of organization in this particular business, and has done very well for himself. They've retired very healthy. They, she got an incredible job. They've done very well for himself. And I've asked him from time to time, "Did you ever regret walking away from all that money?" He said, "Absolutely not. If it meant that I couldn't serve a Lord and have what I have and do what I do, absolutely not." What an attitude! We want to hedge our bets, but not Elisha. It's safe to say that Elisha was not 100% committed. It's safe to say that he was 200% committed. And I think the reason that Elisha had the boldness to ask God for a double portion is that he didn't withhold anything from God. He gave God everything. So I'm going to pursue you with all my might, my strength, my, my energy, my heart, everything about me. I'm going to pursue you. I'm not going to hold anything back. And let me tell you something. If you give all of yourself to God, you can ask and expect that God will give all of himself to you because that's, the, that's, the, that's precisely what he wants to do. We have not because we ask not, and we ask not because we're not all in. We want to do the little baby steps, the little, the little just a little commitment. I'll, I'll commit to church once a week. I'll, I'll commit to 5 or 10% when I go. I'll commit here. I'll commit there. But when you go all in, you're in. And there's, and there's, no, there's no, it's like taking that plane off. When you say I'm committed, that plane is committed. You can't shut it down. You either fly it or crash it. And how many glad they, they fly it? He could have lived, watch this, his entire life in a dancing meadow. In the very delta of, this, of the Jordan River, where, where it was wealthy, family was, but he could have stayed there, but he decided not to. See, you can play it safe, or you can step out on faith. Wow. You can protect your reputation, or you can risk it. You can save your money instead of giving it. You keep plowing your fields and work and work and work and work instead of following the call of God but you might very well be forfeiting, are you ready? 28 miracles. Elijah did exactly 14 miracles in the book of 1 Kings, 2 Kings. Elisha, while he was alive, and Joshua's might be for you, did 27 miracles. Well, how many is 14 and 14 would be? So he was one short of double in his life. You with me? Yeah. But there was a young man that fell and died. And they put his body on the bones of Elisha. And that young man came to life. And I pray today that when I'm dead 100 years, that my legacy will still affect my great-grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren, that they will know that they had a great-great-grandpa that loved God, that not compromise, that played full court press. <laughs> Play it safe and you're forfeiting 28 miracles. I thought Angel and Austin and Keith and Todd and Tanner and Chris and Donnie and everybody <laughs> loves one-liners. When when Elisha asked for a double portion, he knew that a certain anointing came with that. There's anointing to play the drums. There's anointing to run the sound. There's anointing to clean the church. There's anointing... For preaching, there is there there is anointing. The, the 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 feeling or the hoopla or the euphoria or the ambiance of what the anointing creates is tough to define. One famous preacher preached a sermon says, I don't know what the anointing is, but I can sure tell you when it isn't, <laughs> and how many times that I can relate. The anointing in in what I believe my definition of the anointing and others' definition is the difference between what you can do and what God can do. It's the place where the power of God and the favor of God intersects. That's a revelation. Where the power of God and favor of God. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge, my God. In Him will I rest. Surely He shall deliver me from the snare of the fowlers and the noisome pestilence. A thousand shall fall by thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand. But He shall not come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you. They shall bear thee up in all thy ways, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. That's the kind of anointing that God wants you to have. That's the kind of favor that God wants you to have. That's the place that God has for you. Why did God give it to him, Connie? Easy question. Why did God give him a double portion? Ask for it. We have not because we ask not. Because usually asking for something creates a commitment. Woo! High five God. Ask if I want to have a child. You want the responsibility of a child? I want to get married. You want the responsibility of a wife? I want to start a business. You want to be self-employed? So every time you ask God for something, it's a nudge that you've got to start. I mean, I mean, don't just be a starter, finisher, but listen, every black belt started with a white belt. Every concert pianist started out on scales. Every PhD, I don't know to believe, started out in kindergarten. And if you're not willing to go to the beginning, God cannot use you. You've got to be willing to leave the highest seat of honor and go into the lowest. Elisha left a, a, a healthy business and started washing coffee pots and serving Elijah bagels. The lowest on the, he went from the, the man, on the man, to the bottom. It is till it is, until you make it something different. A small step, a small decision, 20 seconds of, of raw courage, getting out of the box, dreaming something, doing that dream, pursuing that dream, knowing that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Thank you for the season. Thank you for the preparation of the worship, the sound crew, everyone that was here so early. Thank you for the water control ministry. Thank you for the mold control ministry. Thank you for the good smell ministry. Thank you for re-enhancing the flower arrangement ministry. Thank you for the ceiling towel ministry. Thank you for all of of the... of the, the ministry in the back. Thank you for the cooking ministry. Thank you for the serving, the makeup. Thank you for all those. If all of us would just do our part, then you would do your part. Heaven would kiss the earth and we'd get caught in the smack. Just as a dad has great plans for a son and daughter, so you have great plans for us. And just as a dad will finance his son and daughter and college career, what do they want to do? So will you finance what you called us to do. Let us realize it. It doesn't have to be what it is. We have the ability to change the future by creating a new one. In Jesus' name, and they all said, "Amen." Amen. So, what does this mean? Now we're getting ready to get our full of our, all of our Bibles up and get all of our notes, all of our little one-liners. I'm going to walk out that door. We're going to get in a car. We're either going to go home or go to a restaurant. So.